You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is your faithful editor and host, Michael Lichens. After a couple weeks' absence to move across this, well, across the country to Denver, I'm finally back and it's great to be with you all here today. And to kick off this next season of the Catholic Exchange Podcast, I am very pleased to welcome Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. Dr. Morse is uh, someone that should be pretty familiar with any of you who like to read blogs in general. She's a frequent columnist for The Daily Caller, has written for Catholic Answers, Crisis Magazine. She is the founder of the Ruth Institute, which is a nonprofit organization committed to addressing the lies of the sexual revolution over the past 50 years. She's authored three books. She speaks all around the globe. She's one of those great big hitters in the media. So it's a a wonderful time to talk to her. And today we'll be talking about Pope Francis surrogacy. And really, there's a lot of news we could cover. We'll do as much we can in this half hour. So Dr. Morris, thank you so much for joining us here on the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I hope to uh, interact with your listeners and readers a lot. Oh, good. Well, they'll be excited to hear from you for sure. And to kick right in, to let's just hit it off as much as we can. You wrote one article that got a lot of attention. It was titled On the Blaze, The Latest Pope Francis Controversy and Why Non-Catholics Should Care. For anyone who, like me, tries their best to ignore the media on Pope Francis, what is the Pope Francis controversy? Oh, <laughs> well, this particular one um, had to do with the uh, apostolic exhortation that he wrote called Amoris Laetitia. I think mm-hmm. that's the correct Latin pronunciation it of is. that. Mm-hmm. And it is the long-awaited uh, apostolic exhortation that wrapped up the two years of synods on the family. And because those synods had been controversial. A lot of people were looking to see, well, what is Pope Francis going to say? And so I wanted to write about that from the perspective of what do our non-Catholic brothers and sisters need to hear about this? Because there's a lot of back and forth inside the Catholic world, but it's like, wait a minute, you know, there's, there's only a billion of us and there's like 6 billion other people out there. We ought to tell you, we ought to just acknowledge them once in a while. (laughs) So, (laughs) so that's what, that's what motivated that particular column, Michael. There was controversy, as you said, even before Pope Francis could reveal this apostolic exhortation and also called the joy of love. And like I said, there was controversy before. What has been some of the controversy you've seen so far in the Catholic and non-Catholic world? Well, Catholics were very concerned that the Pope was going to somehow water down the doctrine. Mm. And everybody, every faithful Catholic believes that the Pope doesn't have the authority to change the teaching of Christ. And uh, that it's our responsibility as Catholics, and his in particular, to hand down uh, at what was handed on to us, as St. Paul mm-hmm. would put it, you know, um, that uh, that it's our first importance that we hand on to others what has been handed to us. And so, no, 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 he can't. it's not possible for him to change the doctrine. Yes. But people were worried that he would change the practice, the pastoral practice so much that for all practical purposes it would amount to a change in the doctrine. Mm-hmm. That's what people are worried about. And there's good reason to be concerned about that. If you look, about, if you look at what happened with the teaching on contraception, and the reception of Humana Vitae. Uh, Pope Paul VI was very clear um, that the teaching had not changed, uh, and yet the pastoral practice in the United States and Western Europe was such that the teaching was largely ignored, mm-hmm. and so lots of people act as if the teaching has changed. You know, So that's a mess <laughs> right now yes. in that area. That's a mess, and it's caused enormous amount of problems, not only in the church, but, but in the world. I mean, I would argue that 
the reason our culture looks as bad as it looks is because Catholics did not embrace Humana Vitae. You know, and then uh, in my position is if American Catholics had embraced Humana Vitae, there's no way we would be dealing with the things we're dealing with now, you know. Um, but uh, so, so that's the background of the controversy. And I, I suppose mo- most of your listeners and readers are, are aware of that. Uh, of that of that controversy and so so then the real question is well what po- what does pope francis have to say we know what cardinal casper has to say and we know what cardinal mm-hmm. has to say and so but they don't really count what's the pope have to say you know oh, and so so what he said uh was he he reaffirmed the doctrine but he also said things that seemed to be ambiguous that seemed to leave wiggle room that seemed to leave um, loopholes and a lot of ink has been spilled over those ambiguous passages. Um, and uh, many, many electrons have been rearranged and inconvenienced to, uh, to accommodate these new, these sayings of the Pope, you know. Um, so although no trees have given their life, many electrons have been inconvenienced by this, by all <laughs> yes. the writing that has gone on about this subject. But, <laughs> but and so I, I'm sitting over here thinking to myself, well, what do I do with this? You know, I, I, I can see that the teaching's intact, but I can also see the ambiguities that people are concerned about. What, what am I going to do as, as a Catholic thought leader, as a person who's in charge of a very visible, very orthodox uh, think tank type of thing? What, what do I have to say? And so one thing that was very clear in my mind, Michael, is uh, some some people are pulling out these ambiguous phrases and saying, see here, Pope Francis says X, where X is something unorthodox, right? You know, mm-hmm. people, are, people are pulling out those phrases and saying it. And I just made up my mind that I did not want anyone to come to the Ruth Institute or come to, to me or my Facebook page or anything like that and see a statement where I had said, Pope Francis says something unorthodox. Because... I just, I'm just not going to give life to that thought, sure. even if there is ambiguity. So what I did, as, as I was reading it, every time I found a real lovely passage of where he, uh, in a very fetching way, restated Catholic teaching, uh, I quoted that and stuck it right on my Facebook page. <laughs> so, so I have this whole list of, of very nice quotes from Pope Francis that are very orthodox and, and very lovely um, in, in their teaching. And so that's what I wanted to emphasize. And that's perfect. Uh, that's something I actually did as a project with several companies I was working with, with Pope Benedict. Not many people will remember, but Pope Benedict for a while there had a tendency to be uh, misinterpreted by the media a little bit. And it was often very frustrating as a great fan that I am of Pope Benedict. I was a fan of him when he was Cardinal Ratzinger. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. As a theologian, he's my guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have a crush on him. I have a crush on him myself. I mean, that's kind of probably shouldn't say that on the radio, but I mean, I'm like, wow. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah! Oh. oh, I love the guy. Oh, we all do. Yes. I know. I know. A lot of us really do. So any, anyway, I'm sorry. Oh no, no. And, uh, what I was saying is, but the... but 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 the the kind of uh, misinterpretation of Pope Benedict is different in kind. Yes. The way in which Pope Francis is being interpreted, the way Pope Francis, the way the media treat Pope Francis is, they see him because he has these things which seem to be ambiguous. Um, the media wants to look at him and say, "Hey, this is a prize in the culture." war. And if we can get Pope Francis to look like he's a symbol for our side, uh, that's good for us. So they've been going out of their mm-hmm. way to play, I, I 
feel like it's a giant game of capture the flag with Pope <laughs> Francis as the flag, you know. So we want him for our guy, you know. He's our guy, you know. Um, but but I, I, so I always felt from the very beginning, from the very beginning, I felt like it was not a good strategy for Orthodox Catholics to play into to feed that, you know, to to feed mm-hmm. that approach because you know why give life to somebody else's thing but on the other hand the ambiguities do need to be clarified you know so uh, it's a it's a little bit of a it's it's a, a a fine line that i think has to be that we that we need to walk here oh absolutely and on that subject i do have to ask what do you think is those of us who write publicly and write even in non-catholic circles as you and i both do what's our responsibilities catholics to talk about pope francis and to talk about what's going on in the church to people who may not know what's going on in Catholicism or, frankly, may not even care what happens in the Catholic right. Church. What do we do with that? Right, right. Well, I, I think about this all the time, and uh, I think uh, one thing that I have settled on is that I have given up trying to say, here's what he thinks. Here's what motivates him, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't know what's motivating him. I, re- I really don't, you know, and I and I don't know what's motivating the people around him. I don't know why he picks some of the people he picks and not other people. And, you know, personnel is policy. So the people he appointed to that synod and the people who are excluded from that synod, that that's real stuff, you know. <clears throat> so. I try not to speculate about his motives. Or about his heart, because the fact is, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what he's thinking. Um, and I try to go with what is positive in what he's doing and what is um, edifying to people who are confused. I feel like my major role and the reason that I'm in this line of work in the first place is because the way my mind works is I want things to be clear. I want to understand. I want to figure stuff out. And when mm-hmm. I have it figured out, I'm happy. You know, that, then I can I can rest. And if I don't have it figured out, I'm going to worry it until I do have it figured out. You know, kind of thing. So when there's when there's lack of clarity, I want to straighten it out. So people come to me. I think the reason people come to me is they come for uh, clarification and they come for uh, encouragement. You know, to do the right thing. So I. Uh, do everything I can to clarify the truth and to say, this is the truth of Catholic teaching. This Mm -hmm. is how Catholic teaching fits in with the natural world as we know it, the social world in which all of us live. Catholic teaching is the most life-affirming, sensible, reasonable thing. And if we did what the church told us to do, we'd all have a better life. Amen to that. (laughs) Yeah, so, so that's a separate question from what is Pope Francis thinking? You know, I'm not that interested in what is Pope Francis thinking, what's going on inside the Vatican, what are the Vaticanistas saying and all that. Eh, you know, I'm just not going to go there. I don't have any special expertise about it. I don't know that it's helpful uh, to the faithful necessarily, you know. Um, so I try to stick with what is truly Catholic and to emphasize that wherever I find it. And there's plenty in Pope Francis that can be emphasized in fully good conscience, you know. And and I, and I think the, the other thing about the ambiguity, Michael, if I could just put it this way. Sure. <clears throat> when there is ambiguity, how it turns out is in part up to each one of us, mm-hmm. right? So if all of the Orthodox people uh, go hide under the bed or retreat from the field or, you know, if we're not out there giving it our best shot, um, then the uh, less orthodox, the heterodox, 
they're going to win by default because we aren't even on the field. So yes. I, we, we can't let that happen. <laughs> That's the thing. We can't, <laughs> we, can't, we can't allow that to happen. So I, I have a lot of respect for the people who are worried about Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. I understand what they're worried about. Uh, but I, but I, my response to it is different. Um, than some of the other people, you know. And in other words, my response is not to say there's something wrong with this guy, and and let's all figure that out and and be mad at him. My response is we know it's true. Let's put all of our effort, renew our effort, redouble our efforts to make clear what's true and what's good. And he agrees with it. You know, he's not going to disagree with uh, me t- telling people what the church teaches about divorce, for example. Um, he, he's not going to disagree with that. Sure. And now to ask the question that I think a lot of people are really tuning in for, in this apostolic exhortation, do you think that there's anything uh, within Pope Francis' statements that could change the practice or the doctrine? Or, or I should say change it more than it's already changed just by default. See, that, that's, that's the really interesting question. You know, mm-hmm. there, there are plenty of people who are already given out annulments that shouldn't be given out, I, I suspect. You know, that, you know, there yes. are dioceses. I've been told, I haven't looked into this myself, but I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if this is true, that there are dioceses that give out 90, 95% of the people who apply for an annulment get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there is something scandalous about that, and John Paul and Benedict would agree that there's something scandalous about that. So are those guys going to behave any differently than, than <laughs> they are already behaving? You know, or are the people who, uh, who never talk about the divorce issue, are they going to behave any differently now? I'm not so sure that they are. Um, I think that the people who, uh, who are tuned into the church and want to live by the church, I think a lot of us are looking at ourselves and saying, how can we reach out to the lost in a more effective way? Because mm-hmm. that's certainly a part of Francis's message. I mean, I think that's the core of his message. Yes. But all these people out there, I like to say they're, they're driving down the wrong side of the street in a fog. You know, they're just, <laughs> they're lost. The people are lost, you know, yes. Be, and, and it's not their fault. You know, a, a lot of times it's not their fault or not entirely their fault, you know, because we're being fed a steady diet of lies through the media Yes, uh, you know, and it and the law, the law is teaching us things that are positively false. You know, um, so um, there are a lot of people who are confused, and we have a responsibility to help them as best we can. That's what I keep coming back to. And and so if he if he opens people's hearts to be thinking about more creative ways to reach those people, that's all good. Um, if he's if if people start giving out communion uh, to people that they knowing that they knowingly should not be giving it out to that is not good that is not good and uh, um and and that shouldn't happen but but it pro- but it's probably already happening and probably will continue to happen mhm no it certainly will and i can see that going on within the culture and like you said a lot of people are lost simply because it's a confused culture we live in yes. we're trying yes. to be post christian but at the same time have all the christianite phrases and the christian ideals and at the time, I'm not sure what on earth we're doing. So I can only imagine what the average person is thinking. That's right. That's right. You know, at the Ruth Institute, we created a brochure called Do You Know a Survivor of the Sexual Revolution? Mm. And it's just a, you know, a little trifold brochure that you see in the backs of churches and things like that. Do You Know a Survivor of the Sexual Revolution? You open it up and there are 12 different categories of people, starting with children of divorce. 
and then reluctantly divorced persons mm-hmm. and uh, donor conceived persons and pornography addicts and refugees from the hookup culture, all these different people. And of course, you open that up. Do you know a survivor of the sexual revolution? Everybody knows somebody in sure. one of those categories. You know, I picked it up from the printer. My printer says to me, I know somebody in every one of these categories, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and so and so then later on the pamphlet, it shows it says, uh, is this what you were told? And for each one of those categories, there are three or four cultural lies that back up that position. So the very first one for the children of divorce, kids are resilient. You know, that's that's the granddaddy of all the lies of the sexual revolution. Kids are resilient. They'll be fine. Kids will be fine as long as their parents are happy, blah, blah, blah. So you take 12 (laughs) different groups of people, three to four lies each, massively promoted by the media and law and academia, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at 50 big lies, you know, <laughs> uh, at least, at least, you know, and Minimal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so people are, people are really lost. And when they finally, you know, kind of stumble into the church, um, we have to be there to help them. You know, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the bottom line. That That's what I like about Pope Francis. And, you know, even though he, he frustrates me sometimes, sure. um, uh, that's that's what I think. Uh, w- we need to be sure that that's his enduring legacy. You know, we we need to be sure that that's what we hang on to, and turn into his enduring legacy. That's a wonderful point to make, and I never thought of it in that way. But as someone who works in Catholic media, I think I get exposure to Pope Francis way more than I should. But at the same time, I agree with you a hundred percent. That needs to be his legacy. That we are here for when people stumble into the church and realize the lies they've been told are in fact lies we need to be there with the healing and with the path forward for them to go and that's been a wonderful thing with Pope francis yes yes and 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 i the the thing that that he says the most often that bothers me and i'll just confess this in front of all your listeners (laughs) is 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 when he says that um that people that the confession's a torture chamber or uh Mm -hmm. that uh that we're we're obsessed with these issues and we're spending too much time on these issues and we're being mean about it. You know, this is sort of the implication that pro-life people are, are, are being harsh and mean. That's simply not my experience at all with that part of the community. And in fact, there are people entering the church because they're brokenhearted over their abortion and mm-hmm. nobody else will listen to them. Uh, or they're brokenhearted over a divorce that they didn't want or a divorce that their parents went through. And no one else will take them seriously. Matter of fact, my goddaughter, Alana Newman... Uh, she's an advocate for donor-conceived persons. I don't know if you've ever had her on your program, but I have not. Oh, you, she's got a really interesting story. Uh-huh. Um, she's a donor-conceived person. Her mother um, used anonymous sperm donor to conceive her, and uh, you know when Alana got to be sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, something like that. Um, you know, she had questions and problems with that. And her mom, those sure. questions, that was not really welcome. You know, it was very upsetting inside the family for her to be asking those questions. Uh-huh. And so she has become an advocate for donor conception to, to be banned ultimately, but, but at mm-hmm. the very least for people to know their identity, you know, to know their fathers, to know their mothers, you know. Um, and as she was going around giving these talks, she, she noticed that the only people who really took her seriously were Catholics. You know, it was consistently, consistently, it was the Catholics who got it, you know, and the non-Catholics, yes. even the non-Catholic Christians are like, 
well, you know, we're not killing babies. We're we're making babies. So, you know, huh, it can't be that bad, you know. And, right. <laughs> you know, you know, and, so, and so she became a Catholic. She became a Catholic for that reason. You know, the, the, the hard teachings of the church actually draw people in once they see the connection. No, absolutely. And on that subject of donor-conceived persons, you wrote an article that's making waves about why everyone should oppose surrogacy. And that uh, popped out because I have a loved one who is looking at surrogacy, and I've been uncomfortable about it. But because, well, I'm a man who has way too many interests, I wasn't able to educate myself or why I was uncomfortable. And your article is really helpful. But that's a question I think even popped in my head. It's like, why can surrogacy be such a bad thing? And why should... Why should it make us uncomfortable? Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad you asked me that. And, you know, a lot of people are in your situation, you know, mm. of, of uh, somebody looking into one of these type of technologies and you are sympathetic with their desire for a child. Of course, the desire for a child is a good thing. Yeah. And and the child that results, if they do go that down that path or if they already have gone down that path, the child that results, of course, is a gift from God. And we must never regret the child or no. have any qualms about the child. You know, that isn't the point. The point is that when we separate sex and procreation in this radical way, we necessarily move that process into the realm of commerce and law and medicine, whereas when a man and woman uh, embrace one another in the marital act, it's it's all about love. You know, it's it's a moment of love. It's an act of love. There are no third parties involved at all, you know, and and that's important for the dignity of the child and for the rights of the child to know who they are. But as soon as you take your egg out of your body and give it to somebody else, as soon as you take your sperm out of your body and give it to somebody else, now there's ambiguity. Now there are questions. Who really is the mother of this child? Who really is the father of this child? Those questions don't arise if mom and dad are just doing it together and God blesses them with a child. You know, you, you don't yes. have to worry about it. And so, so that, that's what I mean uh, when I say that you move it out of the realm of love where it belongs, where every person belongs, where every person deserves to be. You move it out of the realm of love into the realm of commerce and law and contract and all of yes. those kind of impersonal things. Um, you know, money will change hands. You take your egg out of your body. Let's just let's just use me as an example. I take my egg out of the body. I like you, Mike. How about you take some sperm out of your body? We'll find some. Um, we'll find some doctor in, uh, let's say, Missouri. You know, you're in Colorado. I'm in Louisiana. What the heck? You know, we'll find some doctor who help us out here. You know. Well, as soon as I take the egg out of my body, we have to uh, have a contract. We got We have some legal document that says what I want to have happen with my child, right. <laughs> with my egg, which will then be my child, you know. And you, you take your sperm out of your body, you got to have some legal statement about what you want to have happen. And then money changes hands. And then the doctor in Missouri does something with it. And then a baby's born. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're lucky, a baby's born. Uh, and so that that's how baby-making process becomes radically different when you yes. move into that realm. And that's and, and then all of the commercial and legal things that, that kick into place, all of them have problems associated with them. You, you know, and, and so when you start thinking it through, in your, in your fantasy mind, you're thinking, oh, 
my relative uh, is, a, is a loving person and they want to do a loving thing and everybody's good and it's all good and that's your fantasy of it. But the fact is you can't screen out the truly bad actors. I'm seeing you on the internet. I found you on Craigslist, let's say. And I don't know anything about you. You know, not yes. really. You know, not really. Um, if I marry you, presumably I know a few things about you. You know, <laughs> but, 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 but if I, yeah, we hope, you know, we've got to get those marriage prep programs better off so we are sure we know each other. But, you know, when you find a sperm donor on Craigslist, which people do, um, yes. uh, they don't necessarily tell you the truth. I mean, they're, they're, I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago. Uh, about a case in Canada, for example, uh, where a sperm donor, a, a couple, a, a lady is suing the sperm dona uh, donation company. What is it called? The sperm bank. Yeah. Yes. She's suing the sperm bank because she used donor sperm from, you know, donor 9632, whoever it was. And he said all these great things about himself and come to find out that none of them were true. The guy has <laughs> narcissistic personality disorder. The guy wow. is is uh, is mental. He's had run-ins with the law, and he was not really a neuroscientist or whatever it was he claimed to be. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, here we have a a business where a man can father children by masturbating into a jar and getting paid, and he has no responsibility for those children. Number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, he gets to write his own self-description for the catalog, oh. and that's what it is, without anybody ever checking, oh. without anybody wow. ever checking whether this stuff is true. So what could possibly go wrong with a system like that? <laughs> now I ask you, what could go wrong? <laughs> so, so like 26 different families use this guy's sperm, and now they're sitting here thinking, you know, what's going to happen to our child? Is our child going to develop this, you know, uh, your schizophrenia or Whatever you know, whatever the guy's mental problems were, um, what's going to happen? And so, what the mothers are doing, they're doing the logical thing that one does in a contractual situation. They're suing the sperm bank for mm -hmm. consumer fraud. Mm -hmm. You know, for not doing due diligence. <laughs> consumer see? fraud for children. Wow. See what I mean? Great I mean, new world. See, wow. see what I mean? That 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 should never be happening. And so. When you've got it, it, this, this is hard for our culture because it's so hard for us to think beyond ourselves. Yes. If you're only thinking about yourself, you think, "Wow, I'm a good person. The, my husband's a good person. The surrogate we picked out is a good person. It's all going to be fine," you know. Um, but you don't, and 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 because because fertility is something we want so passionately, uh, it's very easy to not see anything beyond our own passion for it you know but sure. but somebody has got to look down the road just a little bit and realize that you're setting into motion incentives for things to have happen that are not going to be so nice you know and and eugenics is one of them and payment for surrogacy is going to be one of them and payment for the the lowest price surrogacy is being outsourced to india and thailand i saw that you highlighted a Everyone, if you can read this Blaze article, we'll put links on Catholic Exchange. But they talk, you talked about in your article that there was an Australian couple who used a surrogate from Thailand and abandoned their child because he was disabled, as if he's just another commodity. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah. I went to buy a car and it turned out I had a problem with the carburetor. No, it's a child. What on? I, I was so furious by that article. By that fact, yeah. not the article itself, but by that fact, I had to get up and go outside because wow. <laughs> yeah. And it's wor it's actually a little worse than that, Michael, oh, I'm because sure. they had twins. In this case, there were twins, 
and the little girl was perfectly healthy. They took the little girl back home to Australia, oh, right. and they left. The, they left the Down syndrome boy with the surrogate mother, and, and so the surrogate mother then needed to, you know, go through all kind of legal procedures to make sure that she actually would be the mother, would, that she would legally be the mother, the one and only mother, and that she didn't have insurance and she needed money to take care of the little boy and you know so on and so forth. But yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly you know this is a lemon. Uh, get out of here. You know, I don't want it. I don't have to have it. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it, in some cases, people are, um, uh, there's, a, there's another, you know, truly ghastly case uh, where um, a man, a single man, wanted to, wanted to have children and he went and uh, engaged the services of a surrogate. They implanted three embryos into the woman. And this is a case they've never seen each other. The, the man and the surrogate have never seen each other. He's an unmarried man, so he's using sure. his own sperm and, and purchased eggs. Oh and, um, and all three of the embryos took. And he wanted to uh, do selective reduction, which is a euphemism for abortion. He wanted mm-hmm. her to abort two of, the, two of the embryos, and she didn't want to. And he's threatening her with her contractual obligation to do what it says in the contract, which is you're required to do this. Uh, and I don't know how that case has resolved, but as as the case developed, it came. You come to find out that this this father doing this uh, is deaf and is working on a postal worker salary, and he lives with his parents, and he's in his fifties. So you ask yourself, how is wow. this guy going to manage even one child, much less three children? And and wh- where was the screening that would take place? No adoption agency would let that guy adopt. No. Right? And no <laughs> woman not? in her right mind would marry the guy from the sounds of it. You know, I mean, no, normally we screen this whole matter by having a face to face encounter with our child's other parent. That's the normal screening process. Right. Okay. okay? And, and when you have all these barriers between the two parents or between the gestational mother and the genetic mother, when you have all these barriers that are legally the legal barriers are what people want, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't want to be encumbered by a relationship with this other person. Um, when you have those barriers, you're, some real strange people are going to slip through that screen because there is no screen. No, there is uh, exactly. There's no screen. And uh, something you point out before is within the surrogacy program that disturbs me on some level is that it's exploitative of the poor. And I've seen this firsthand, by the way. I know a woman who was a surrogate simply because she needed money, and I thought that was one of the honestly, Aldous Huxley couldn't have come up with a more frightening scenario yeah. where people, where the rich are basically paying people to bear children for them. It's like, what on earth are we turning into? Yeah, no, it's true, it's true. And I got, I got kind of hot and bothered about this because um, here in Louisiana, uh, they're considering a bill, even as we speak, they're considering a bill that would legalize surrogacy contracts in this state for the first time. Louisiana is wow. a very uh, pro-life state. It's a very mm-hmm. Catholic state. It's a very cons- culturally conservative state. Family really, really matters to people. Sure. So it's really surprising that it's going, that it's just zipping right through the way it is. You know, it's, it's actually, it's gone through twice and Bobby Jindal vetoed it twice, you know, mm-hmm. uh, over the last few years. So this year it'll probably, it'll probably go through. But uh, what's interesting about it is that the, the sponsors of this bill 
are very conscientious about all these problems. So they're creating a bill that has all kinds of restrictions. So it has to be the husband and wife's own sperm and eggs. They can't use a third party and no payment for the surrogate and no any contract that requires an abortion, uh, that contract will be completely void and you know so on and so forth. So they're going through all of this and they're saying, look, what's wrong with this? Why don't you pro-life people get on board and support this contract? We've dealt with all of your objections. And my response to that is, I really, really appreciate the fact that you see there are problems. My point is, you've put these restrictions into this legislation. But five years from now, how many of those restrictions will still be in place? And if those restrictions go away and we have surrogacy without those restrictions, you, you name the one you hate the most, you know, how are you going to feel five years from now? How will you feel about your vote if contracts that do allow abortions become legally enforceable in Louisiana? How are you mm-hmm. going to feel if third party, the use of third party gametes becomes legal in Louisiana? How are you going to feel about it, about your vote if that comes to pass? And sure. you know, there are a lot of poor people in Louisiana there are a lot of poor people here, yes. and, and, and I can just see it. I can just see it coming. Uh, uh, the, the industry, the fertility industry, coming around looking for those ladies to improve their lives by making a lot of money that they couldn't make any other way. You know. Oh, my gosh. And that is, yeah. for me, that's a frightening thing as someone who – I'm one of those social justice warriors you might call me, but yeah. as someone who from that perspective, that frightens me to think you know another – for the same reason we oppose in the United States, and I think this is where the disconnect comes in. In the United States, we oppose paying somebody for an organ yeah. uh, donation because we do not want the poor to be exploited to donate, you know, vital organs to the wealthy for you know a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. We don't want that exploitation. We understand that, but when it comes to surrogacy, it seems like suddenly we forget that part of our thinking and we just turn it off. Uh, that's my yes. perspective. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, Dr. Morris, thank you so much. There's been a lot to cover here, and I'm sure we'll have to have you on here again to talk a little bit more. But uh, for now, if someone wants to learn more about you or the Ruth Institute, where can they go? Well, we have a Facebook page, very active Facebook page, so people could come and like us on mm-hmm. Facebook and, and follow us around that way. Um, we have a very active uh, website, and the website, I'll just put in a plug for the website. Sure. One of the things we do on the website is ruthinstitute.org. Mm-hmm. Very very easy to remember, ruthinstitute.org. And one of the things we do there is we invite people to tell their stories about how they've been harmed by the sexual revolution. Um, Because we feel like one of the things that has allowed this revolution to continue is that the people who've been wounded never get a chance to tell their side of the story, you know. So uh, if you're a child of divorce, if you are a refugee from the hookup culture, uh, we have people writing about those things uh, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And we've got a couple, that, that blog, we call that blog, Tell Ruth the Truth. Um, and we and we put that out there, and I I think it's very therapeutic for the sure. people writing, and it's certainly enlightening for the public, you know, to to see that hey, there's a downside, there's a mm-hmm. downside stuff. Yeah, so so you can sign up for our newsletter at the website, um, follow us on Facebook, and contribute your story. Wonderful. We'll put all those links up at CatholicExchange.com when we publish this. So if you for, didn't catch that, all of you can go to CatholicExchange.com. You can find links to the Ruth Institute, their Facebook page, and there are some amazing stories there. Not just what 
Dr. Morris has written about and that we've briefly covered here, but just the stories you hear from people. And many of us could share our own stories. I know that for a fact. So that's a great service you're doing at the Ruth Institute. Well, thanks very much, Michael. We think so, too. You know, the, the Huffington Post has a, a page every week that they call Blended Family Friday. Mm-hmm. And it's about how you can find your bliss in your remarriage and blended family. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, a lot of those kids in those blended families do not find it blissful. No. And, 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 and what is it? What, where can they go? You know, who will listen to their story? And so that's why we have the Ruth Institute available uh, to people who, who want to share what it was really like, the whole story. Oh, that's once more, that's wonderful service that you're offering and you're doing some great work, Dr. Moore. So I thank you very much for being here with us on CatholicExchange.com. Uh, we'll put links up and drive people over to those sites. But I thank you once again for writing, for sharing your thoughts with us, and for generally just enlightening us here today. Well, I'm glad to do it, and I'll look forward to interacting with Catholic Exchange listeners. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Morse. 